Looking forward to just sharing with with you guys this morning. It feels like a, it's been a while since I've been up here. I'm not sure why, um, but it just feels that way. But I, um, I am going to be teaching uh, on a topic this morning, but I'm probably more than teaching going to be leading, if you know what I mean. I've got kind of wear two hats. I lead this congregation, but I also teach. And sometimes teaching is more sort of information transferal, but leading is bringing a person from where they are to where God wants them to be. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like this morning might be more leading than teaching. Um, so hopefully when you, you walk out of here, it's more, it's more a case of I was there, but now I'm here versus I thought this way and now I think that way, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but um, I, did, I just wanted to share a little bit before I launch into the scriptures about like what God's been doing in us as a congregation. I've, I've been chatting with a number of people during the week and just almost marveling at what the Lord is doing in us as a church. Um, and maybe it's more obvious when you're sort of standing here looking that way, <laughs> you know, on a Sunday morning or whatever. But if I, if I think about a year ago, sitting in our other venue um, looking out at the congregation, at what God's doing, and, and what I saw then and what I see now. It's really something to marvel at what God's done. And just to give you kind of a practical, um, maybe visual, at one stage it was quite intimidating for me standing up on a Sunday, even to teach. It was intimidating because I would look out at a crowd of people um, who were, were, were sit, sitting very fast in their chair, and like, cool, let's see what... Let's see what these guys have got for me this morning. Yeah, with with looking probably like seeing probably this this much of your face as well, which makes it that much more intimidating because sometimes people don't communicate a lot through the eyes. But um, it was almost a sense of we've been battered, we've been broken. My church is closed down. You guys are open, so I'm here. So let's just celebrate that. I'm here, right? I've still got my salvation intact. I'm here at church on a Sunday morning. Let's just, let's just be thankful, right? <laughs> there was a bit of that sense. Um, and it was, it was also intimidating in the sense of looking out at a congregation which I lead and not knowing anyone. <laughs> uh, we, there was this influx of people. And it was quite intimidating because I would look around and I'd think, Lord, what, what is going on here? Like, I don't know who these people are. And, and it's, it felt overwhelming to, like, we've got to get to know each other. But so many people at the same time. Um, whereas it feels like now there's a little bit more sense of we know each other and we are going somewhere. And the Lord has almost changed a bit of the culture of how we think about church. What church actually is. Why am I actually a part of this thing? What does God actually want to do through me? And I, I was joking last week about Andrew leading the meeting and looking very overwhelmed because you just got inundated with people, you got with words and encouragement, and it was a little bit like, help me here. But that is such a good problem to have, you know, because it tells me that the saints know that they're not just an audience filling up a chair, but that God has called us his people, and we are a kingdom of priests, and, and we are going somewhere. 
And just while Cam was sharing that word about the t changing of tires, I I'm sure there's multiple applications of that, but it almost feels in a little bit of a sense of like God changed some tires, even in the sense of the way we think about church. The Bible talks about wine skin and wine. And with the new covenant came a new wine skin, and the wine represents God's spirit. If he pours out his spirit into an old wine skin, it's like a Formula One car with old tires. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, so, but this morning it feels like the Lord wants to grow us uh, even more in the way we think about church. And so I want to speaking. Uh, I want to sp the topic this morning is a word which I'm going to intimidate you with at the beginning, but I promise I will explain it. Is the word koinonia? Koinonia is a beautiful Greek word, and the reason why I use the Greek word instead of instead of the English word is because there isn't one. There isn't one English word to translate the word koinonia. In fact, when Paul used the word koinonia, he actually misused it because he was trying to find a word to express something and there wasn't a word for it. So he repurposed a word that was used in their language, koinonia. The word koinonia was actually used to describe utopia, a society which was an ideal society, a dream that somebody had of a society that didn't exist. And he repurposed that word, koinonia, and it's now a familiar word in the New Testament, but it, he actually had to invent a word to express what he's saying. And so, um, I, I, sorry, the AV guys don't have this, but um, I just felt the Lord dropped this verse on my heart while we were worshiping. Um, it's, it's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And it says, you'll know it, Jesus saying, he's speaking to a church. Um, evangelists often use this when they're inviting people to, to, be, to be saved or be, become a Christian. And it says, here, Jesus saying, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's quite an interesting way of explaining salvation, don't you think? I mean, if you think of how you could end that sentence. Um, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, they will be saved could say that. Anyone who opens the door, they will have their sins forgiven, or um, there will be a new creation. There are lots of ways you can finish that sentence, but he, he says, I will come in and eat with him. The language there is, is like in my, in my life, describing my life like a home, and Jesus coming in, sitting at my dinner table, and eating with me. It's an intimate language. It's it's the language of intimacy, fellowship, koinonia. That's why I'm using the word, because there isn't actually a word for what is being described here. And we're going to look at a few scriptures this morning at what God has in mind for his church. So last week, um, Mike Davies was talking about, from Acts 2.42, and we're going to go back there, they were devoted to apostolic teaching. And he unpacked what that means and what does it mean 
to have devotion uh, to anything, and and he spoke about the importance of apostolic teaching in shaping the church. And this week we're going to go back to Acts chapter two. Maybe you can put put that passage up now. If you haven't been in Joshin for a long time, you may not know that this is one of our favorite passages. Um, if you do, if you have been in Joshin for a while, you'll be smiling because it's really a favorite passage. Now, but there's a reason why it's a favorite passage of ours as a church. If, if you're reading the book of Acts, every now and then you stumble across this little passage, which is like a summary of what's been happening this far in the story. There's a few of these. This is one of those summary passages. So in the light of what's happened here, this is a summary. And it, it gives you like almost like a, a, a word picture of what the church was like. And so as, as a church, we read this passage and we, and we imagine what it must have been like um, to be in the church. And it inspires you. You, you. you kind of start to feel nostalgic, like, that's beautiful. What if God could do that with us? That's why we love this passage. As you read it, you think, imagine God did that with us. That would be koinonia, heaven on earth, right? So I'm going to read it, but maybe I'll just mention before this passage, about 3,000 people had been saved on one day after one sermon. So that it's not like everyday, ordinary Sunday service, like there's something significant going on in the church at that time. I mean, imagine if I had to get up here and say, hey guys, some, some awesome news to celebrate this week. I preached on the, uh, at the, what's that area there by the, the taxi rank? And 3,000 people got saved. That's why it's so busy here this morning. And everyone's like, ah, oh, okay, I was wondering why it looked a little bit fuller than normal, right? Because we normally about 140, now we've got... Uh, 3,140 people, right? You're kind of wondering, oh, what, what happened? And then it goes on to talk about like what was going on in the church at that time. It says they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, then you know it's a miracle. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they devoted, they continued to meet together in the temple, in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In other words... Bob's community. Was it, was it Bobby's community? Praising, so they had dinner together every night. Was it this week? Yeah, in somebody's home. Such a cool idea, by the way. Well done, Bob. I don't know who came up with that idea, but who? Lisa. But you can take credit because you're the husband. Did, did you just? just uh, yeah, so they, they didn't have community one night this week. They decided to eat in everybody in a, a different person's home every night of the week. Such a cool idea. So, hey, if you're getting inspiration from Lisa this morning, you go ahead. Um, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, every day, people got saved. And they were added. It's not, just, not, not only did people get saved, 
They were added to the family, added to the church. It's so beautiful when, you, when someone responds to the gospel, but ultimately saved into what? They need to be saved into something, and they were added into the church. And, and so you can see as you read the passage, doesn't it kind of make you feel a bit nostalgic? Like, that's so beautiful. I, I, I want to be in a church like that. Um, and I, I, I want to be in a church like that, right? So that's why. And it says they devoted themselves. Now that says something quite beautiful. Like the people devoted themselves to these things. That's different to, you know, um, you know, this is the way we do things in this church. This is the expectation, guys. He has a list. In this church, this, no, they devoted themselves. So because there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it says, and much, there was much grace among them. And because the Lord provoked them, people devoted themselves. And that's my dream, is that as a church, it's not a case of this is the way Josh Jen does things. It's a case of we are filled with the Spirit. We're filled with the grace of God. And we devote ourselves because I love Jesus. Does that make sense? And so one of the words there, um, you can just put it up again in, in, uh, in the beginning, um, was they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Can you see there in verse 42? To the fellowship. Now that word is the, the word koinonia. It's translated fellowship. It's an interesting word, don't you think? I mean, uh, I was born in, oh, I'm not going to give my age away, but when last year you in conversation with somebody not in a church environment and they dropped that word? Fellowship. Can you remember? <laughs> now you gave your age away. Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings was written by Tolkien, who was a Christian. So guess where he got the word from? From the, the probably the King James Version. So... Fellowship is a weird word. It's a, it's a good Christian word, which we probably don't use anywhere else, like koinonia would have been for them. Uh, but the word that's translated there, fellowship, don't you love the fact that they were devoted to koinonia, whatever that means, and we're going to unpack what it means now. It's, when we think of church, we don't often think of like the things we're passionate about, one of the things that we're passionate about. Because we're Christians is to care. There's a good word. We, we're passionate about being together and enjoying one another and knowing one another and, 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 and fellowship, whatever that means. Friendship. So instead of saying whatever that means, let me unpack what it means. One of the things it refers to is working together. Working together for a common purpose. So Paul would often talk about churches that were co-laboring with him in the gospel. Co-laboring, working together to achieve God's kingdom purposes. So it's a, it's, a, it's a work, common purpose. This is what we're doing. Another thing that it means, it means partnership. It means we're teaming up together. There's a partnership between us. Um, or, or, or covenant is another good Bible word. Covenanting, covenanting with one another, with Christ. Or another thing that it means is giving of ourselves to each other. Giving of ourselves. Of, 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 of my heart, of my love, of my time, 
sharing, as we read there, of, of our homes, of our food, of our sharing, everything, with each other. And that's what they were devoted to. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting because, remember I spoke about how even coming into this church, there's been this work that God's doing in changing the way we think about church. This is part of it. Partly what God wants us to be devoted to is koinonia, is this fellowship. And that's not churchy. It's not got to do with Sundays necessarily. It's got to do with stuff that happens during the week. It's got to do with loving each other and sharing our lives with one, one another. Um, the, the, the Bible uses this word in three different contexts. We have koinonia with God. Do you know that? The Bible says we have fellowship with Him. Same word, koinonia. Intimate, knowing, sharing, giving of ourselves. And God gave His Son. We give our lives We share our lives with God. He shares his life with us. Koinonia, fellowship, intimacy with God. That's why Paul would say, if you've had any fellowship with the Spirit, any joy in the kingdom, and and, and he uses that kind of language. Then then we have um, koinonia with each other in the church. We come into Fellowship. We come into koinonia. We come into sharing with with each other. And then we also have koinonia between churches. Churches partnering together in the kingdom. For us, that is 412. 412 is not this umbrella network. It's partnership. It's churches co-laboring, co-sharing. Uh, joining with each other, building into each other. That's why we're always going on outreaches um, or family visits to other churches. That's why, because we believe there should be koinonia between the churches. And you see that in the New Testament. You see them even taking up offerings, not for a new building, not for, ta- for another church, to go and support them because they're in need. Um, that's part of what koinonia means. I want to read, we can put up um, Romans chapter 12, verse 5. This is a very challenging verse if you want to talk about what church really is. So you've all heard the analogy of church is the body of Christ, right? It's almost become cliche. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. But listen to the next part. And each member belongs to all the others. That's kind of covenant language. We belong to Christ. We all know that. But did you know you belong to each other? That there's a giving and a sharing. That's, that is koinonia. There's another verse I want to put up. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. Um, talking about a church, I think this was the church in Macedonia. It says, and they did not do as we expected. In other words, they did more than they expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord, right? That's koinonia with God. And then to us in keeping with God's will. And there's something about true church family where I'm given to God and I'm given to you. And that's why the Bible always talks about how you can't say you love God but don't love your brother. 
It's because of this. Does that make sense? And it's starting to make sense now, like why the Bible speaks like that all the time. In fact, it says you're lying if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother. In God's understanding, we're a body that's given to him and given to each other, and that looks like loving and caring for one another. Are you following me so far? It's challenging, but it's really beautiful. Um, And our dream is to see a church that fully looks like what God's idea of church actually actually is. Um, let's do one last scripture before we start to the application. Galatians 4, verse 14. This is talking about Paul's experience when he came into a church. He says, even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God. As if I were Christ Jesus himself. They welcomed him. They received him. When, just leave that up there. Which verse does that remind you of? Can you think of another verse? Trian, do you remember? Yeah, when Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And it reminds you of that verse, doesn't it? And he's saying to this church, you were like that with me. You welcomed me in as if I were Christ himself. And so my question now, and it's a challenge to each and every one of us, maybe we know this stuff, but is it how we live? Is it how we live? And, and for some of us, you might answer that question, yes, unreservedly, that is how I live. For some of us, you, you may answer that question, I'm starting to live like that. Maybe even within the last two years, you're like, yeah, since I've been a part of this, I... I've started to see this and I'm starting to live like that and it's been a little bit of a changing of my thinking and my heart because I'm starting to realize that is actually what church is. For some of you, you might be sitting here and it might be your first time here and you're thinking, that's a lot. (laughs) I hope that one day I could live like that. And it's good to be honest and transparent. But... um, the, 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 the dream that Jesus has for us is that we would live like that and, and that our, our sac- Mike mentioned last week about how you can tell what somebody values in their life by looking at their bank account and then somebody with a very cynical nature afterwards and said it will show how much I value petrol because <laughs> <laughs> because the petrol price is consuming a lot of I mean, but, but there was something in what he was saying that so, sometimes we believe that we value something, but what is that? But if somebody else had to look at my life and tell me just with an unbiased perspective what they think I value by how I live, what would they say? Does that make sense? And so when it comes to um, koinonia and inviting people to share in my life, if somebody had to look at my life from the outside, does my life look like that? And I believe, so remember I said at the beginning, I'm wanting to lead as much as teach this morning. I'm wanting to lead you somewhere because I feel like this is where the Lord is leading us. He's leading us to open up our lives, open up our homes and bring people in. There's something in the scriptures about homes. Somebody mentioned this um, even when we were praying this morning. 
You know, the Bible says that Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, he sleeps outside. But there were a few places where he did sleep. And, and, and they often mentioned in Scripture, Mary and Martha and the home that he had in Bethany. It wasn't his home, but he, he thought of it as a home when he was in that neighborhood. If he was in that neighborhood, that's where he would sleep. Because they, they had made a home for Christ. And when he was received there, he was received warmly. They opened up his home to him. And, but we tend to be, we city dwellers, so, so we tend to meet people outside of our home as far as possible, right? Because we usually live in a really small apartment and you're probably sharing it with somebody and it's like you don't really want necessarily people to come in there, <laughs> just want to sleep there. Rather meet me at, uh, at Garden Center or uh, at the Woodstock Exchange or something. But there's something I feel the Lord wants us to remember, which is that there is something about bringing people into our homes that God doesn't actually want us to lose. Because when you bring someone into your home, it's like you're bringing them into your life. You're sharing. When you have someone around your dinner table, it's just different. You look at their photos on the wall. That in itself tells you like so much more than what you already knew <laughs> about them before. Uh, uh, but there's something intimate about having somebody in your home around a dinner table sharing a meal together, which we mustn't lose. And so, yes, we city slickers, but I feel like the Lord... The, the Lord's, the scriptures speak a lot about hospitality and it being, in fact, it's actually a requirement if you want to be a leader in the church, funny enough. It talks about character and then it talks about must be hospitable. Such a strange thing to say. But it's not strange if you understand God's kingdom. Now, when that's a requirement to be an elder in the church, to be hospitable. But that's not, that's because elders are called to be an example to the flock, Right? It's not because they're the only ones supposed to be hospitable. It's to be an example to the flock. And so there's something about homes that I believe God wants us, um, he's calling us, calling us to. And it's interesting that the word um, hospitality in the New Testament is, it, it comes from two words put together, and I'm going to read it for you now. Philos, love. And xenos, from where we get the word xenophobia, which means stranger. So it means to love strangers, hospitality. So the idea, and Paul mentioned it earlier, even though they didn't know him, they welcomed him into their home. Even though he was a stranger to them in that sense. He was and he wasn't. Like they probably knew of him, but they hadn't met him before, and they welcomed him in. It is something God's calling us to. And I believe he's challenging us in that, even in our homes, that we would open up our homes to bring people in, even people who are like strangers in that sense to us, to open up our home to bring people in and to not be afraid for people to see our lives. Dave was speaking earlier about not putting your candle under, under a bowl. He wants our lights to shine. But actually... Oftentimes, it's when people come into our homes that they see our lives. Paul says, you know how I was when I lived among you. It's one of the things I feel like God's challenging his church globally about apostles. Yes, they might have a good sermon online, 
But do you know how they were when they lived among you? It's easy to have a slick ministry that looks good online. But Paul would say, you know me because you know how I was when I lived among you. But there's something about bringing people into our lives, into our homes, that they can see how we live. And you only see that when you're in their homes. Does that make sense? One of the things that, um, and I'm going to get Debs to share a story just now, that has, God has really used with Josh Jen is people coming from other countries, other churches. They've heard about Josh Jen. They've heard God's doing something special with us. And they come to see. But the seeing doesn't just look like coming to our best meetings. The seeing actually happens oftentimes when they're in our homes. And, and they're often as impacted by what they see in the lives of the saints as what they see at a, on, a, on a stage or hear from Andrew Selly preaching. Does that make sense? And so there's something of God wanting our light to shine actually by inviting people into our homes. Does that make sense? It's different and it's unique and it's maybe a little bit like writing left-handed for us who live in the city. But we mustn't forget that that's the nature of the kingdom. That's the nature of the kingdom. And so um, I'm going to put up Romans chapter 12. Verse 11 to 13. It says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the nature of koinonia. Can you see how it all fits together? It's a really beautiful um, picture that God's painting here. What, maybe, um, Debs, why don't you at this point come up? I, I, I'm going to share a little bit about, um, maybe you can just stand this Maybe just let me join two dots right now. One of the things that I do with my daughter, I want to do with us now, is, you know, if I, want, if I want to teach my daughter, I've got a four-year-old. If you've not met her, you will soon. She's very gregarious. Um, if I want to teach her about kindness to her friend, I can, here's two, two ways that I'll do. And, and the one is much more effective than the other. So if your parent is a pro tip as well. Like, to, to be kind to your friend and share with your friends. It's a golden lesson, right, for, for kids, especially toddlers, because it's definitely not a natural for them. You sit them down and say, hey, Namila. You know, this is what kindness looks like. It means you share your things with other, your friends. But that's just information. It's like, okay, cool. And then she goes and plays, right? The best thing you do is when you see them in the play park and the one grabs the toy and then the other one grabs the toy and then they fight and then the one, and then the toy gets used as a weapon. That's the time, that's the time to teach about kindness and sharing your toys. Right? And you say, okay, you sit there, Joyce. Let's be very practical. It's Joyce. <laughs> Namila, you sit there. Now, would Jesus have done that? <laughs> and then you, you talk about sharing your toys with your friends. So 
there is this, we're having this 412 conference and we're needing hosts and we're needing hospitality. Why am I talking about hospitality now? It's a teaching moment. Right? It's a teaching moment. It's true for all of life. Jesus himself is hospitable. His people are hospitable. It's not just about October. It's about life. This is the nature of God's kingdom. It's what his kingdom is like. But now is a teaching moment. Does that make sense? That's why I'm going to tie the two together. It's not arbitrarily done. Um, Debs, what we... Uh, you, you sat down because you knew my... <laughs> um, oh, sorry, Nick. Um, cool. So um, just before I share, God highlighted a scripture. Um, it's actually Ephesians 4.16, and it says... I'm going to read from the NLT. Um he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so what I'm going to share today, actually, like I asked God while Luke was um, speaking to highlight what he wanted me to share. Um, and so I went to the Isle of Man a decade ago um, with a whole bunch of um, Josh Jane City bowlers and um, what was weird is that the church, the elders were fully on board. They were like, they had the vision. They wanted Andrew and the saints to come in. But the the body and the saints uh, just didn't fully understand. So um, when we got to our hosts, um, the amazing people, and what I'm going to share is like the miracle that God did in their lives. But when we got there, it wasn't easy. So the husband was kind of in church. Um, and the wife was, like, passionate to get more involved in church, but that was the context that we walked into. So they actually, he actually left me at the airport for about five hours. I had, uh, when, so that was awkward, and then, then you kind of, like, get into their home, and um, they had, he, he had the impression that we were on holidays. So, cool, you're coming to stay in my home, weird. Like, just, just this misunderstanding. There was just a bit of miscommunication, and we stayed there for about five days. And I would be lying. They were extremely hospitable, like amazing, welcoming, um, but it wasn't an easy context. And I think um, God had placed us there for a reason because while we were in that context, at the end of our stay with them, um, the Holy Spirit actually highlighted a couple of areas. And on our last night there, me and the two other people, Carrie was actually staying with me and another girl in um, Tableview. And they just said to us, like, um, opened up their lives and said, kind of, um, like, we've seen what you guys are about, like, speak into our lives. And we had this amazing opportunity um, to kind of speak into their context. Um, but what actually happened post our visit there um, is what, what the wife actually shared with us. And this is part of their testimony, so I'm not dishonoring at all. But there was something massive in their marriage, like humongous, that almost broke the marriage. So um, the Holy Spirit almost used us being there, seeing everything that was going on and brought it into the light. And they were then able to walk a journey of healing with the elders. Um, and over the past decade have like sowed into the youth. Like I think there might be deacons in the church, but just like incredible fruit of a very uncomfortable situation. Like it will be uncomfortable. Sometimes God's going to call you to get in the nitty-gritty, and especially feeling like like 10 years ago, like not knowing what I was doing, 
carry as well. It just feels like God really, like you're putting me in this really weird situation and I'm just a saint and what am I going to do? But actually it's not about us and seeing what, what God did with us just staying for a week with people and seeing their lives transformed. Um, and then another um, testimony that I'll share to link it back to when I went now, I was there about a month ago. Um, and the wife was actually very prophetic and um, asked for us to kind of like pray for her. I think it was one of the sessions. Milani came and prayed over her for like the gift of prophecy. She was just passionate about the prophetic. Um, and a decade later, um, and we asked a couple of people at the end of the conference to share prophetic words, like people that they kind of like recognized with the gift of prophecy. Liz was one of them. Um, Tamar was another. And this lady was a third. And to see what God did, um, just through us kind of praying for her, um, it's incredible. Like I, I've zoomed in on a very macro level, um, but the Isle of Man is on fire. It's really like to see what God's done through people, like each part of the body doing their um, thing, being obedient, going. Um, yeah. <laughs> So that, that so Andrew had been to that church a couple of times before that, and he had preached some really powerful words, but nothing had changed because they were hearing him through their lens and their experience of church, and they were applying it through their own experience. But after that conference, when about over 70, 70, Josh Jenner's, at their own expense, flew to the Isle of Man, which is like this little island in the middle of the Berean Sea, uh, Irish Sea, same thing. This, no one really cares. But, <laughs> they were invaded by like 70 people who went and stayed in their homes. And when they saw them living, like Paul said, you saw how we lived among you. And when they saw them worshiping together, they, they, suddenly the penny dropped like, oh, that, that's what you meant. They had to actually see it lived out through the saints, through us. Um, and so even now with the conference, we, you know, we don't, like to call, we don't like to talk about the uh, 412 conference. You know why we don't like the word conference? Let me unpack it for you because you're going to wonder. about. Someone's going to say something about we don't like to call it, and you're going to be, wow, what have you got against the word conference? Conference, when I was in, uh, in the West Africa, the pastors basically lived by going from one conference to the next conference. So we actually had a conference, and they were already talking about the next one. And we were like, are you serious? You're planning your next one like next week after this? And it's like this conference culture, and you get like these conference junkies that live from one high to the next, where it's just like very charismatic speakers. They're like motivational speakers. They get you pumped. And then uh, that was a great conference. That's why we don't like the word conference. That's why I'm talking about koinonia. So I thought of titling this conference versus koinonia. But I, I won't because that, that would be very cheesy. But, but what we, what, what, why, we, why we have a conference is not to have a motivational speaker. It's for koinonia. It's for partnership. It's because we believe that churches partner together. People partner together. And they do what we've been speaking about this morning. It's about fellowship. It's about uh, co-laboring 
It's about giving of ourselves one to another. And, and so, um, was it Clint last week? Clint and Lawrence were sharing about how there's this church in the U.S. that, like, City Bowl congregation is like their reference for a healthy church, right? So every time he's doing a sermon, or, and then he references us for some strange reason. Um, well, I think we're doing well, but I, I don't think we like the model church. Of it. But, but for them, where they're at, that, that's what we are to them. And, he, and I remember him saying, please, guys, they're coming here, and they're expecting us to host them, please. Uh, so I wanted to, to just check. There's, there's different ways of hosting. Some of you have registered to host through the, the website. Some of you have got private arrangements, and it hasn't gone through the website. But maybe just by show of hands, who, who is registered to host in some way or other, just by show of hands. Okay, cool. That's helpful because it helps me to recalibrate, like, how we're doing. But can I ask you that just for this time now in October, as I mentioned, this aspect of the kingdom is an aspect of the kingdom. It's the nature of Christ. We reflect Christ through our hospitality. It's not just about October. But at the very least, for this October, I want to ask you, would you open up your homes and reflect Christ? And I want to ask, I love that Deb shared that story now, because it's not just about opening up our homes. You can have people in your home, and they can feel like they were a stranger before, and they're a stranger still, because of the, it's just like a weird... It's more about opening your heart than opening your home. That's why we're not about flashy accommodation. We're not trying to be a hotel, but except my home, right? Some of us will literally only have one room, and then it looks different. But the point is that it's a warm experience where people get to experience love. They get to see Christ, that we would reflect Jesus to them. Does that, does that make sense? So for, for, for all of us, it looks very different. But this is such an aspect of the kingdom that for Zanz and myself, even when we buy a home, we're thinking hospitality. I love that story with Winston and Nicole. When they were renting their place and then they saw this place, they're like, this would be perfect to have community. I love that because it reflects they have God's heart for hospitality. It's like, I want to have a home where I can have people in it. It's not just about me and my wife having a lack of place to stay. It's actually about, I want to make this a place where Jesus can come and have a home. And by welcoming people into my home, I'm welcoming Christ into my home. Does that make sense? So this is actually, a, it's, a, it's, it's just a kingdom way of living uh, with an open heart and an open home. Is that cool?